Good morning, Grace Fellowship. We are going to be looking at Exodus chapter 5 this morning, which if you have one of the church Bibles, I believe is page 31. Somebody correct me on that if I'm wrong. We are only a few pages into Exodus so far, but today we get to the central question of the entire book. And that question is this, who is the Lord that we should obey his voice? The next 35 chapters, I'm going to end up whacking this microphone, so I'm going to move it away here. I have Italian blood in me, I can't sit still. <laughs> Over the next 35 chapters in Exodus, after this, it's all going to be looking back to this question. Who is the Lord that we should obey his voice? And it's going to be answering that question more and more as we go. So, it seems appropriate that we do a quick review of how we even got to this point. This is something this is going to be something of a climax, right? So, what we've seen so far in this book of Exodus, just a few chapters, is that God's people, the Israelites, because of their great number in obeying God and being fruitful and multiplying, have, have grown so much in the land of Egypt that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, feels threatened by Israel being there. There's, there's so many of them, and so he enslaves the people. And more than that, he creates these evil edicts that say that every baby boy born to an Israelite is to be killed. He wants to control their population and subdue these people. One boy, however, survives, and he, he is named Moses. At 40 years old then, Moses, after a failed attempt to rescue his Israelite brothers and sisters, incurs the wrath of Pharaoh, who now wants to kill Moses, even though Moses had actually grown up in Pharaoh's household. And so, out of fear for his life, Moses flees Egypt and goes into exile for the next 40 years. It is then that God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, commissioning him to return to Egypt and telling him to go back and once more save Israel. This time, however, God promises to personally deliver Israel and that when they did, Israel would even plunder the Egyptians, taking their things, the things that belong to their masters, with them as they go free. Moses receives power to perform these signs on God's behalf. He runs the plan by the Israelite elders. He gets his brother Aaron to come along and help him. And with everybody's approval now, God, Aaron, the elders, everyone, he now approaches the throne of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. It sure feels like we're being set up for a climactic chapter, right? This, if this were a movie, this is where the music swells, the crescendo, the excitement. This is going to be the showdown. So let's dive in and find out what actually happens. So we're going to start by reading Exodus chapter 5, just verses 1 and 2. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. What a remarkable sight this must have been to behold. To watch this 80-year-old shepherd, staff in hand, leaning on it as he walks, with his enslaved brother by his side, boldly declaring that their foreign god 
had superiority, superiority over Pharaoh, and therefore the king was to release his entire labor force. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. It is here at this first encounter between Moses and Pharaoh that we hear that most important question throughout the entire book of Exodus and quite possibly throughout the entire Bible. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Pharaoh asks. Now, tragically, despite this being the most important question one could ask, Pharaoh doesn't even wait for a response. And he answers it straight up. He concludes that he doesn't know who the Lord is, and so he's not going to listen to the Lord, and so he's not going to let Israel go. Now, the meaning of this text here, friends, that we read, just these two verses, is extremely clear, and it was just as clear to Pharaoh as it is to us. There is a God who reigns over Israel whose name is the Lord. And this God does not just claim supremacy over Israel, but over Egypt as well. And this is not one of many gods that Pharaoh was used to, where it's a god of a particular people group or a particular idea or, or geographic domain or something like that. This God, the Lord, claims that he's God over Israel and Egypt and Pharaoh and the wilderness where he wants them to go and everywhere in the entire world and beyond. The message, friends, is very clear. The Lord reigns supreme and you must obey his voice. And how Pharaoh is to obey his voice is also clear. Three times in two verses, we are told, let Israel go. And Pharaoh understood this. It was not lost on him at all. He knew exactly what was being demanded. But how did Pharaoh respond? He responds by asking that truly wonderful question. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? But he doesn't ask it as a question. He's not looking for an answer. And that's why he, he, he just answers it right away. He says, well, I don't know him, so I won't obey, and you can't go. If only Pharaoh had asked that question honestly and humbly. There would have been no danger in doing so, right? Like, let's say that you walked into the service this morning. And somebody came running up to you as soon as you come in the doors and said, hey, listen, uh, Joseph wants you to go and sit in the front row today. If you wanted to ask a humble, honest question, you would say, well, who is Joseph that I should obey his voice? And maybe you wouldn't say it quite like that, but that's what you would think, right? And if you find out, oh, Joseph is the new executive pastor we just hired. Oh, gosh, I should probably pack up my things and go sit up here with the students. You know, like that's... That would be the right thing to do. But what if you find out that Joseph is actually Joey Hallman, my two-year-old? And every parent of a two-year-old knows that two-year-olds have very strong and arbitrary opinions on where everybody should sit. And so that would not be a strange thing. But, you know, you would feel totally free to just smile and say, no, thank you. And no one would fault you for it, right? And that's because no matter how much a two-year-old may protest, you're under, under no obligation to listen to the two-year-old. They are not in authority over you. But friends, you would demonstrate such foolishness and pride if you didn't even ask the question, who is Joseph that I should obey his voice? If you just simply went on and said, well, I don't know Joseph, and so I won't listen to him, I'm not going to go sit up front. 
then you may be putting yourself in very, under very significant uh, foolishness. You'll be lacking in understanding. So there would be no danger and no harm in considering whether this claim has any authority. In fact, it's the wisest thing you could do. Because if you're dealing with a toddler's command, just ignore it. Or perhaps you may find out there is no Joseph. He's not real. Somebody just made that up. Then you don't have to pay attention to it either. But what if the claim of authority is genuine? What if it is in fact absolute and required and carries with it the promise of either immeasurable blessing or unthinkable consequences to disobey? That, my friends, is exactly what Pharaoh's question is giving at. And so we must ask ourselves, every one of us, who is the Lord that we should obey His voice? Have you asked yourself that question? How do you answer it? Does it match how the Bible answers it? Does it, does it match how God answers it? How you answer that question changes absolutely everything. It's the most significant thing about you. In fact, Pastor A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he's exactly correct. So what are your thoughts of God? The rest of the book of Exodus and the entirety of the Bible answers that question. But that'd be a really long sermon, so I'm not going to try to cover all of that today. You're welcome. But why don't we cover today just two parts of the answer to that question. Here's the first part. The Lord makes his people rest, but men demand daily tasks. That's the second point in our outline. Let's pick up in the text here, verses 3 through 19. Then they, Moses and Aaron, said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many. Remember, that's the thing he did not want to happen. And you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no attention to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all of your task of making bricks today and yesterday, as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet you say to us, Make bricks! 
And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So here's what happened. After Pharaoh denied Moses and Aaron's initial request in verses 1 and 2, they tried again. And this time, Pharaoh doesn't only deny the requests, but he institutes this, this infamous bricks without straw edict, right? That's still a, even a cultural thing we understand here, even when people don't know where it comes from. He passes that edict onto his Egyptian taskmasters who oversee the work and to the Hebrew foremen under them. The Hebrew people, it seems, even try to do this. They're scattered, and, but they're unable to do so. And, and so even the foremen are beaten for this. The foreman, in turn, approach Pharaoh to appeal, and once more he denies the request. This is not a happy picture of the state of Israel. But let, let's dig a little deeper, too, because there's more for us to see in this text. For example, did you notice the major repeated words in this section? Words for work, like burden, gather, task, labor, those types of words show up 20 times in that little section. Words for building materials, like bricks and straw, show up 15 times. And job titles, like taskmaster and foreman and the people, things like that, that shows up 29 times. All of these words are about work, construction work in particular, and all are about the daily tasks that Pharaoh demands of the people. And, and I, loved, I loved this, to, to drive the point home. Twice in this text, the phrase daily tasks each day is used. So it's like daily tasks daily. Which tasks are you going to do today? My daily ones. <laughs> you know, like that. And that's, that's thrown in there twice. I think just to show us how obsessive Pharaoh and the people were about these daily tasks. Now, despite that, there is... Another short phrase repeated three times by Pharaoh. And it's this, word, this phrasing, you are idle. It shows up in verse 8 and then twice in verse 17. Despite the huge number of work-related words here in this short text, Pharaoh's repeated conclusion is that they're not working. Okay. Now, it gets better because all of what we just read and observed, if you take into account those 60-plus words having to do with work, all of it is actually set up as a contrast to just a few small words in verse 5. Let me back up to verse 4 so you can get the impact of this. Listen to this. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, listen to this, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. 
The bulk of this text is packed with words about Pharaoh and taskmasters and foremen and bricks and daily tasks and burdens. But here, Pharaoh observes that Moses and Aaron's Moses and Aaron speaking on behalf of the Lord have the exact opposite agenda. You make them rest. Thus, ironically, Pharaoh's earlier question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice, is answered in part straight from his own mouth. The Lord is the one who makes his people rest. So what do we have to learn from this? I think two things. First, apart from God, men will never be satisfied by daily tasks. We see here that no matter, no matter how hard the people work and no matter how rough the conditions, Pharaoh becomes increasingly obsessive, manipulative, abusive, prideful, and blind. And apart from God, you and I will become just like him. Consider this. Isn't it tempting to look around you and keep tabs on what everyone else is doing? You ever do that? You look at your coworkers, you look at your spouse, you look at your campus fellowship, you look around other church members here, you look at Young Kwan Church when they come in after us, and you start to, to keep a mental record of how much everybody's doing. Like, are you, are you doing enough work? Are you doing enough work? You don't look like you're doing enough work. I'm working here. And the thing is, once we even start counting such things, keeping track of that, examining whether people have done their daily tasks each day, We've already reached our conclusion. But by the point that we begin counting, we're not objectively considering what we've done and what they've done. We're already looking for justification that they're not doing enough so that we can bolster ourselves and lay more expectations on them. They can't win. They will never win. We will never be satisfied by men's daily tasks. Even if someone were to, to meet our arbitrary standards, do you know what we'd say? You are idle. You are idle. You need more work to do. Bricks without straw. Like, that's, that's what our hearts do. That's the nasty, gross stuff that lives in our hearts. Now, maybe you guys are better people than I am, but that happens to me. <laughs> Heads are nodding. Okay. So there's at least a few gross people in this room. I'm one of them. We will never be satisfied by daily tasks. But here's the second thing we're to learn, I think, from this text. God makes his people rest. Pharaoh says in verse 5 that Moses, acting as God's mediator, makes his people rest. That is, where men give us more burdens, God takes our burdens away. Where men tell us to work harder, God says, let me do that for you. Where men are never satisfied with their people, God is already satisfied with his people. And, and it's not because of our work for the Lord, but just because we're his people. He gives us rest. As a cruel taskmaster, Pharaoh makes us work, bricks without straw. But as a loving father, God makes us rest. He, he, the image is that he tucks us in. 
He watches over us. He keeps us safe. He carries our burdens. He handles everything for us. No bricks, no straw even necessary. Just rest. But there's a problem, isn't there? Because look at verse 5. Somehow, Pharaoh notices that the people were made to rest. We're not told exactly how he knew that, but you know, perhaps they stopped working to gather and, and see how Pharaoh would respond to Moses, and there's a little crowd gathering. I, I don't know. We're not told. But somehow Pharaoh says, you, you're making the people rest. They are resting right now, Moses. But then what does the next verse say? <laughs> that same day Pharaoh commanded, bricks without straw. Okay, hold on. Wait. Wait, that can't be right. The text says that God makes his people rest. And you can picture the people standing outside saying, well, hold on. Our work is done. Isn't it? Like, I mean, we cried out to God. He sent Moses. He promised we'd be delivered and walk out with plunder of the Egyptians. So where's that rest? I mean, I I left my shovel back there. I'm not going back to work. What do you mean bricks without straw? So you think, well, maybe it's coming. Okay, let's look. Maybe, maybe verse 9 here. Um, Let heavier work be laid on the men. No, that's not it. Okay, verse 11. Your work will not be reduced. In it. No. Verse 14. Hebrew foremen were beaten. No, that's not it. Uh, verse 19. You shall by no means reduce your number. No! Wait a cotton-picking minute here. Like, what's going on? If God has got to rest, why, is it, why aren't his people resting? What's going on? Have you, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you cried out to God for something? Maybe for years. Maybe, maybe pleading with him to take away some burden, to give you peace, to make you rest. And when you finally see some glimmer of hope, you feel like it's a tease and God takes it back. I bet that's how these people were feeling in this moment. They just, I mean, the Israelite elders were just meeting with Moses and Aaron. They saw the signs that he could do. He goes before Pharaoh, and they're probably like, here it is, we're getting out of here, we're going to rest. God promised, God promised, God promised. Wait, more work? Fact is, friends, that the Scriptures make plain here, and many other places, that God does make His people rest, but not now. Not completely. The fuller rest He's offering comes later. In this case, nine chapters later, ten plagues later, one Red Sea crossing later. So why then does the author of Exodus bring up God's rest here? I think it's to remind us that God's promises do not usually happen on our timelines. God always delivers, but not always immediately. God absolutely will make us rest from our burdens, but sometimes our burdens get heavier before they are removed. We'll see some of that played out in our final point, but first let's let's seek to just quickly apply this portion of our text. I'm going to mention just one application for, for us. Look for ways to give others rest. Look for ways to give others rest. And that's your application because we noted earlier that our natural inclination is to demand daily tasks of one another, isn't it? 
So the best way to fight that is by purposefully looking for ways to give others rest instead. So look around. There are people in this room carrying burdens. And during the the fellowship time of our service, which takes place after the sermon and, and before we go to small groups, it's not just to eat donuts, though enjoy, but that's an opportunity to look around you. How can we be the church together, bear one another's burdens, give one another rest? Do you, do you see someone who is sitting or standing by themselves? Maybe they're lonely or discouraged. Why not choose to sit with them or stand with them and talk? Ask how they're doing. Listen for ways to give them rest. Or do you, do you see young families with a bunch of kids running around? Welcome to Grace Fellowship. <laughs> we have a few of those. And... You know, I, I can say personally, as a parent in one of those families, there, there are a few things that you can do to give me more rest than just to play with one of my kids for a few minutes. Like, any love you show my kids is love shown directly to me. And there's no reason to limit this to church members. Like, just look around your neighborhood. Look around your, your dorm. Look around your community. There's opportunities all over to offer rest. I mean, it's the fall, Right? If you, if you know that a neighbor works on, uh, has a crazy work schedule, doesn't have time to, to rake their leaves, you can do that. Can you imagine what kind of impact that would have for someone to come home and just have all the leaves gone? What about, what about just offering a kind word? I mean, I think we have a great, a great community here at Grace Fellowship where there are, I often hear you speaking to one another, using uplifting words, just reminding one another of the ways that God is working in your lives. And I love that. But there are, that is a rare thing. Many of you work in environments where you never hear that type of thing. And if, maybe it's a performance review and you hear just as much negatives, as much as positives and things like that. What if you just went up to someone and just encouraged them with something you've seen in their life? Maybe some way that God is using them to encourage you, even if they're not a Christian. Maybe you can offer a listening ear. Maybe you can offer to watch your neighbor's kids. They can go on a date. There's lots of ways to give rest, friends. So why not purposely try to do that even once or twice this week? Just plan to do it. Look, say, on, on this night, at this time, I'm going to look around and I'm going to find someone and I'm going to give them rest. Watch how God uses you if you do that. And on that happy note, let's turn to our final point. The Lord makes his people stink. It's verses 20 and 21. They, the Israelites, met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. I'm going to stop right there. That's enough. How did we get here? How did we get to this point, friends? Based on what we'd read so far, remember what we talked about right at the very beginning? We expected great things. This was the crescendo of the movie, remember? This is the music swelled, the anticipation was high, the people were getting ready to party. They were going to throw this big, uh, big celebration for Moses and Aaron, saying, you know, God made promises, he gave us powerful signs, he gave us Moses and Aaron, you guys are great, I love you guys, let's go collect all of our things and all the, the Egyptians' things and let's head out. That's what we thought was going to happen here. 
But instead, we get bricks without straw. The Hebrew people are beaten. And when a desperate appeal is made by the Israelite foreman, the conclusion is that Moses and Aaron have made them stink in the sight of Pharaoh. It wasn't supposed to be this way, right? The Lord who had promised rest has made his people stink. So how do we interpret this? What does that mean? Well, unfortunately, the text doesn't tell us. Okay, let's pray. You guys are dismissed. You know. <laughs> I do think, though, that if you guys would be so, so kind as to permit me to back up a little bit, to zoom out from this particular text, I think, I think we can take a stab at why this is happening. That's because this one incident here in Exodus chapter 5 is far from unique. If you flip the next pages in your Bible, you'll see God doing, do, yeah, doing two things in ever-increasing measure. Ready? He's going to promise rest, and he's going to make his people stink more and more. I mean, isn't that a fair description of the ten plagues? Over and over again, Israel is protected and Pharaoh and his people are further overwhelmed. At several points, in fact, Pharaoh tells them to get out. Why? Because he can't stand the stink. But then, each time, he changes his mind, and we start all over again. And that culminates in the Exodus event itself. Israel will victoriously march out of Egypt, plunder in hand, the epitome of rest, but then suddenly they find themselves with their backs to the Red Sea. Nowhere to go. And endless hordes of infuriated Egyptians, every one of whom just lost their firstborn son. And they are just pouring over the sand dunes with Israel in their sights, and they are going to utterly wipe them out. There's nowhere to run. And so Israel has now become the epitome of stink. The tension in that moment, perhaps more than any other in the entirety of the Old Testament, is where this question of which truth of God is going to prevail here. Is God going to make them rest, or is God going to give them stink? Listen then to the words of the Lord through Moses in that very moment. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. You, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you, you need only There's our answer, friends. The Lord does make his people stink, and sometimes more and more and more. But in the end, God's greater purpose is always to make his people rest. And just as in that moment in Exodus, when things were as dark as they get in the Old Testament, so we find it in the New Testament. There came another day, many years later, when the man, Jesus, God's son, had become such a stink to the rulers of the day that they 
condemned him to die hanging on a Roman cross. And quite literally, it became the darkest day in all of history. Luke records for us that on that day, the sun's light utterly failed. And and though no mortal man knew it at the time, this was the equivalent of all of God's people having their backs to the Red Sea. Every prayer, every hope, every promise of God's people throughout all the ages was there hanging on that tree. God, God was forcing his people to ask, which truth about me is going to win in the end? His making rest or his making stink? And three days later, we got our answer. Jesus' corpse was not stinking in a grave. He was risen. He was alive. And he was giving people rest. So that brings us to our final applications for today. If you are a Christian here this morning, your application is that when God makes you stink before men, rest in Jesus Christ. That means if people mock and ridicule you, for obeying God's voice. Or if people blame you for problems that are not your fault. Or if people falsely accuse you of having selfish motives when you're only trying to serve them and give them rest. Or if, like Pharaoh, the governing authorities may even purposely discriminate against you because you serve the Lord, that they may make your life much more difficult as a result. If any of those things apply to you, then God may be purposefully making you stink before men. And I think that's so we won't go looking to men for rest. Because you won't find it there. They'll only demand daily tasks, right? Rather, we need to look to God alone for rest. He gives us a full, or he gives us a partial measure of it now. But when Jesus Christ returns, if you are a Christian in this room, you will have rest in full. But if you're not a Christian here today, if the ways that we're talking about resting in God is a foreign idea to you, or you're not quite sure what that means, your situation is far different. Further rest is not coming for you. This right now is as rested as you will ever feel. And so, as we said earlier, how you answer Pharaoh's question is of the utmost importance. Who is the Lord that you should obey his voice? If you're not sure and have therefore not obeyed his voice, from God's perfect and holy perspective, you stink. Perhaps other people aren't telling you you stink, but that's because you smell just like them. But your failure to obey God's voice disgusts him. And he must turn away from it. And therefore away from you. Just as any of us here would turn away from the smell of rotting eggs or decaying flesh. It's it's just repulsive to you. And you will have none of it. You would keep it as far away from you as possible. And so your application, if you're not a Christian here today, is the same. Rest in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the stench of sin for all those who would trust him. So before God, Christians no longer smell of sin and death and decay. 
but rather are the sweetest, most delightful fragrance in God's nose. So will you trust him? Will you choose to obey his voice? So let's together answer that great question of of Exodus. Who is the Lord that we should obey his voice? The Lord is he who makes us stink and gives us rest. Let's pray. God, it's amazing that these two things are both true of you. That before men, you make us stink. And that's uncomfortable, God. I confess, I don't like it. I would much rather everybody like me. I would much rather everything be easy. But God, I also know that to cast myself onto the affections of men is a slippery slope. No man will ever be satisfied with my efforts, no matter how much I try. But God, you are already pleased with me and with all of my brothers and sisters here. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you as their Savior, that they would come to you today and find rest. Would you mercifully help them, change them, make them a delightful scent in your nostrils nostrils as they trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ? And God, even now as we sing about this amazing grace that we have been offered, freely given to us by Jesus, uh, that we would rest in you and cease from our striving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.